Well, actually, we're starting a, well, finishing off our little run through Easter that we've been doing over the last couple of weeks. And uh, I want to start by telling you a bit of an experience I had once. A number of years ago, uh, we lived in Russia, and myself and our family, and uh, I taught English there for a while. And over the years, I had a chance to meet various teachers, and one day a guy called me up and said, oh, can you please come and to uh, my university and speak at a conference. I thought, oh, well, I don't know what I want to talk about. And he goes, oh, talk about whatever you like. And I'm thinking, okay, it's that type of conference. must be a bit Mickey Mouse. So anyway, I turned up the day and he met me outside and escorted me through the doors, past the security and into the conference room. And, well, in there, there was quite a few people, probably around 200 people. And I thought, okay, I wonder how this is going to go. Sat down up the back and he goes, don't, don't sit there. Come up the front, come up the front. So I walked out the front, sat down second or third row. He goes, no, 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 that's not the place you're supposed to sit. Um, go right up the front. And then I was, looked up and saw there was a panel of desks up the front facing the crowd. And there was my name, Paul Tate, international expert. I thought, oh, no, <laughs> what's going to happen here? So I, was, I don't know. I can't even remember now what I even said, but it must have been okay because I was invited to a special lunch afterwards with the university director. They put on this huge spread, and there I was, guest of honour for lunch that day. And uh, it was a pretty nice time. Uh, yeah, a, a special experience. I guess you ought to ask the question of you. Have you ever had that invitation-only VIP experience? Well, it'd be great to be special for a day, sit at the head of the table for a day, but it's quite a different thing to be actually be invited into the throne room of heaven and rule with Christ. And that's exactly the sort of promise that Jesus gives us um, now that he's sitting in heaven. And, you know, we've just reflected on Easter and we, we immediately think of the cross and Jesus dying and taking our sins and we get forgiveness. But now he's sitting in heaven ruling and we've been invited to come and join him. I'll just read to you from Ephesians chapter 2, which we're going to look at today, starting in verse 4. It says this, But because of his great love for us, God, who was rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead and in transgressions. And it is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the comparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Well, we look forward to thinking about that a little bit more as we gather together, but why don't we uh, open in prayer. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you that we can gather in your name uh, and hear you speak to us through your word and especially be encouraged by the great promises and blessings that we hear in your word. So please uh, freshen our hearts today, encourage us as we hear the great blessings that are with us now and that we can be seated in heaven with you. And Lord, we do pray you would help us to understand your word and to be encouraged by it. We're going to pray now. Um, so if you are sitting at home and you'd like to bow your head and close your eyes, uh, I'm going to pray on our behalf. And if you want to make this prayer yours, uh, feel free to say a hearty amen at the end. So let me pray. I'm going to start by reading some of Revelation 4. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. 
You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honour and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honour and glory and praise. At Easter last week, we were reminded with sombre joy of the great sacrifice of Jesus. Thank you that your Son, through whom all things were created, and who holds together all things by the power of his word, humbled himself to willingly lay down his life for us. Our lives were redeemed and were purchased at such great cost. Thank you that Jesus is not only our sacrifice, but since his resurrection, he is now our living and reigning Prince of Peace. In light of your mercy, help us to fathom how much you love us. You gave us everything, so help us to give you all our lives in service to you. We pray for our world, Father. Lord, you reign on high. You are the beginning and the end. You know every part of our creation. We continue to boldly approach your throne and pray for those affected by COVID-19. We pray for all our healthcare staff and other essential service workers, that you would sustain them and protect them in this time of need. Please also bless the work of scientists who are trying to find a vaccine. Lord, we pray for those out of work or out of routine. Please supply those with reduced hours or loss of work with what they need and with a joy that passes all understanding. For those out of routine, we pray that helpful and healthy habits would form. Father, we also ask that you would draw near to those uh, whose family home is not a peaceful or safe place. Please protect the vulnerable in our society. While at the moment we cannot meet together in person, we thank you for the blessings that have allowed us to continue to church together online. We pray particularly for our pastor team and volunteers who are working out how we can best love and support each other while we are being kept apart. Father, particularly at this time, we want to pray for anyone that is in distress, that is sick or in mourning. Please comfort those who are suffering and strengthen those who care for friends and family in need. Let them know your mercy, compassion and love for them. Father, you have given us so much. Please help us at Soul Revival to give to our community at this time. Whether it be a kind word, a chat with a neighbour or delivering a meal. While some of us might not be feeling too useful at home, we ask you to use us. Help us draw near to you to daily read and pray. Help us to live lives worthy of uh, your calling. To be loving and patient with those close to us and share your saving gospel with those around us. Lord, you are our rock, our creator, our lamb that was slain and our king that rules forever. You are also our heavenly father who walks beside us even to the end and into eternity. We love you and praise you because you alone are worthy. Amen. Hi, everyone. Uh, we're going to be reading from Ephesians chapter 2, uh, verses 1 to 10 today. <clears throat> so 
please read along with me. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you were following the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared for us in a, prepared in advance for us to do. Dear Heavenly Father, we pray that as we open your word that you give us clear thinking and give us ears to hear and eyes to see the truth of your gospel. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, like I said, my name's Stuart, and when I was a young kid and I was growing up, I grew up in the southern part of Sydney, in the Sutherland Shire, as many of uh, us who are probably watching along tonight uh, probably did grow up in the Sutherland Shire. But I, I suppose for those of us that didn't grow up in the Sutherland Shire, i uh, give you a bit of an idea of what it looks like around here. Basically, um, in the Sutherland Shire in Sydney South, it's always been a little bit quieter than the rest of the city. It's a little bit further away. Uh, it's uh, on the edge, where I grew up was on the edge of a river, uh, the Hacking River, and not far away were the beaches, uh, Cronulla beaches, which you may or may not have heard about. But living uh, on the bush, as I did uh, in the Australian bush, was a really great experience growing up as a kid. My brother and I and the kids on the street used to spend heaps of hours in the bush down the back of my place. And we used to explore and find all sorts of stuff. We used to try and look for lizards and all sorts of things. But one of the favourite things I used to look for as a kid growing up in the Sutherland Shire was cicada shells. Now, I don't know if you know what a cicada is. It's kind of, I've been thinking how do I describe a cicada. For those of you who live in Sydney, you'll know what a cicada is. But if you don't live in Sydney, it's kind of like a big cockroach with wings. Now, that doesn't sound very appealing, but to a little kid, a cicada was a thing of fascination. For me, a cicada was exciting and we used to try and collect the cicada wings. Now, when I was really little, I didn't know where the cicada wings came from, but someone spread a rumor around our, our um, street that the local chemists would buy the cicada wings that we found for five cents each and they'll give us five cents per wing because apparently there was some healing power in cicada wings. So there was this rumor spreading across the street that these cicada wings were valuable. So as kids, Growing up in the bush, we'd explore the bush floor, the, the woods, the forest floor, whatever you want to call it, looking for these cicada wings. And when you find a cicada wing, I had this little envelope and I'd put the cicada wings in an envelope. Now, if I was really lucky, not only would I find a cicada wing, but I also might find a cicada shell. Now, as a little kid, I didn't know where these shells came from, but they were in the shape of an animal that looked like it was alive, but it was actually just a husk of the cicada 
because what a cicada does is, which I found out later, is a cicada lives something like seven years of its life underground. And it lives underground in the roots of the trees and it drinks the, the sap out of the roots of the trees. And then after about seven years of living underground, this insect crawls a metre up onto the side of a tree, attaches itself to a tree, and then sheds its skin that it had underneath the ground, its husk or whatever, I don't know the technical term, and then it will fly away. But as a really little boy, the only experiences of cicadas that I had was the actual wings that I was collecting off dead cicadas and these shells. And there were thousands of these shells, literally almost every gum tree at summertime would have a cicada shell on them and we'd gently pry them off the side of the bark and I'd take them home. And I had a little collection of cicada shells next to my bed that I'd hang on the wallpaper next to my bed because they had little, little hooks on their feet and I could hang them on the wall. So I had these cicada shells. Now I used to love my cicada shells. But one year, one summer, when I was a little bit older, the best thing that could have ever happened happened. Honestly, the greatest event of my life to that stage was there was a cicada plague. The cicada plague was so great that there were thousands of these cicadas all over the place. And as I got older, I'd started to become more aware of where these wings and these shells had come from, that they actually came from these flying insects. It looked like little flying cockroaches. And they were flying everywhere. They're also, another way of thinking of them is they look like giant flies. That's what they kind of look like. And these cicadas were everywhere. And I'd go to the side of a tree and there were living cicadas all on the side of the tree. And I ran home and I got a bucket and I filled a bucket like a normal size bucket full of cicadas, living cicadas. And I brought them home and I put them in my bedroom. And my bedroom was full of these live cicadas and I was happy as Larry. I don't know how old I was, but this was the best thing that I could have ever imagined. And then my mum came into my room and she completely freaked out because these things were not only singing and flying around my room, they were also weeing everywhere. Because if you know cicadas, they're good at weeing. Well, the, the difference between the cicada shell and the cicada for me was just such an incredible thing. I found it so exciting to actually have these live cicadas in my room instead of just the shells. And the reason I tell this story today is because this is, I think, what Paul's trying to hint at, that when we are people without Christ, though we are looking for enjoyment and joy in this life, we can find all sorts of happiness. And even though it can be transitory, we can have great exaltation in this world without Jesus. But the surpassing, deep, beautiful depth of joy that we can experience when we know Jesus is like the difference from going from enjoying something that's dead, like a cicada shell that's not actually even alive, to the actual real thing, a living breathing cicada that can fly around the room and wheel over your bed and sing away in your, in your bedroom. Here in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul makes this stark contrast of what it is to be a human being before we are spiritual and then after we are spiritual. Of course, he says that the difference between someone who's spiritual and not spiritual is like the difference between being alive and being dead. And Paul is making a point here that even though we are alive physically, if we don't know Christ, He's saying that we are not yet spiritual. Until we actually meet Jesus and put our faith in him, we, are, we, we, are, we can't be regenerate and come alive spiritually until we meet Christ. And so let's have a look at that together and unpack that a little bit uh, for ourselves today. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world, the ruler of the kingdom of the air, and the spirit that now is work in those that are disobedient. 
All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of the flesh and following its sinful desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by very nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. Now, that beautiful reality has packed a whole heap of ideas into just a few sentences. This weekend, we're celebrating the ruling of Jesus. Last weekend, we looked at uh, the fact that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead. And this weekend, we're actually looking at the fact that after he rose from the dead and he showed himself to his disciples, he ascended into heaven. And as he told his disciples, he is now ruling in heaven at the right hand side of the Father. And on Friday night at our gathering, we started to think about this idea of Jesus ruling by starting off going back into the Old Testament, 740 years before Jesus would uh, do that uh, tremendous work on the cross to, to save us from our sins. Isaiah prophesied that that time was coming. But what Isaiah does is he gives us this wonderful vision of heaven. In Isaiah chapter 6, he gets a vision of heaven and he goes into the throne room of heaven and he sees God seated on his throne. And his vision of God on the throne is of God in huge beauty and splendor, the most amazing, beautiful um, vision that he could ever imagine. And around the throne of God are these angelic creatures, including these seraphim. And these seraphim are singing the praises of God. And Isaiah makes the point in Isaiah chapter 6 that God is so huge and vast that just the train of his cloak fills the whole of the temple in Jerusalem. And the singing of the seraphim is so awesome that it shakes the foundations and the pillars of the temple. Now, Isaiah's response to that grandeur is to consider himself in contrast to his great God that he witnesses in this vision. And he makes this astounding claim that he is a man of unclean lips who lives amongst a people of unclean lips. What Isaiah is aware of is that God is God and we are not. And when he's struck with this vision of God, he realises that although God has called the people of Israel to be his people and they are to be his people and he is to be their God, they have not fulfilled their end of uh, the, the partnership there, of the covenant that God made with them. The people of Israel in chapters 1 to 5 in Isaiah have been described as an idolatrous people who've run off to idol worship and sinful behaviour that has actually made God incredibly angry. And Isaiah is struck that he is a part of the problems in this world, not just a victim of sin or a victim of suffering, or he's not just someone who is watching other people who are doing wrong things. He doesn't compare himself to others as in, oh, well, that person's worse than I am as a sinner. He actually is struck by the fact that he contributes to the sin and, and the pain in this world. And he calls himself a person of unclean lips. Now, one of the angelic creatures in the vision goes to the altar and with some tongs takes out a burning coal from the altar in heaven and does this remarkably interesting, strange thing. The angel takes the coal and touches Isaiah's lips with the coal. And it's a cleansing ceremony. The seraphim, the creature, the angelic creature, is giving Isaiah a symbolic metaphor to say that he can be purified from his unclean lips. His unclean lips can be actually changed by God. Now, in the Saturday night service, when we reflected on this, we jumped from Isaiah chapter 6 all the way forward to the very end of the Bible. And in Revelation chapter 4 and 5, 
we again are brought into the throne room of God and we get a glimpse into heaven. But this time we are brought in there by John who has a vision of heaven. So just like Isaiah, John sees the throne of God. Just like Isaiah, John sees the angelic host around the throne. But added to the vision of Isaiah is that John actually also sees the Lamb of God who looks as though he had been slain, who is also seated on the throne next to God. And as a result, John looks around and sees that not only are there angelic uh, creatures present in heaven around the throne of God, with the same beautiful language that Isaiah tries to capture, the greatness of that experience. John talks about this beautiful experience, almost like there's a rainbow around the throne, that there's almost like a sea of glass around the throne, of crystal. It's just He uses all these really beautiful words to try and describe the beauty and the glory of God. But as he looks at God and then goes out a bit further and sees the angelic host and he goes out a bit further again, he looks around and there surrounding the throne are the people who've been saved by that lamb, by Jesus who has been like a lamb who was sacrificed for sin, who died on the cross and rose from the dead to pay for the sin of the world. All of those who have put their faith in Jesus are also around the throne of God. And John adds to the vision of Isaiah by showing us the multitude of those who were saved. Now in Revelation, John describes that multitude as though they were washed white by the blood of the lamb. In chapter 7, he actually says that it's like they've been cleaned from um, the sacrifice of Jesus. They've literally been cleaned. And again, that's another symbol of cleansing, just like the seraphim's coal cleansed Isaiah's lips. So now we're seeing that the blood of Jesus cleanses those who put their faith in Jesus from their sin. And now the response of those who are around the throne is the same as the response of the angelic host in Isaiah 6. In Revelation 4 and 5, those who are surrounding the throne of God who have been saved by Jesus been brought alive sing they sing more beautifully than any cicada song but just like the cicada sings out of the joy of life and sings as they fly around in the Australian bush so when we stand before the throne of God and we are met with the grandeur and the beauty and the holiness of God so we will realize that the difference in our life between the time before we knew Jesus and the time after we knew Jesus is literally life and death but more than that, it's more than just an experience. Even though we are alive, we are dead spiritually unless we've actually been forgiven for our sin. Because here in the passage, what we described as in verse 2 is, before we knew Jesus, we did follow the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. In other words, the devil or the Satan who opposes God is described as the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. And the idea here in chapter 2 is that before we followed Jesus, we did follow the ways of the rebellious Satan. In verse 3, it says that no one escapes that reality, that all of us lived amongst them at one time. And the evidence of that, if you're wondering, is that the evidence of the fact that we did not understand the difference between life and death was that we used to gratify the cravings of our flesh and follow the desires and the thoughts of our sinful nature. Paul elsewhere talks about the fact that this is almost like a sort of slavery, that before we are born again and become spiritual people, it's as though we can't stop gratifying the cravings of our flesh, following its desires and its thoughts. It's almost like we're victims of our own bodily nature that we we just can't stop 
the sinful behaviour that we are finding so natural. And because of the things that we do that are selfish, we hurt other people. Because of the sinful rebellion against God, we don't live for other people and look after other people. We always put ourselves first and we end up doing things that are selfish and wrong and sinful. And as a result, we are deserving of wrath from the things that we've done that have hurt others. In verse 4 though, But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our sin. It is by grace that you've been saved. So when we come to understand that Jesus is the Son of God who came to earth to die on the cross for our sin, when we put our faith in him and we turn from our sin and repent of the rebellion that we've had against God and ask Jesus to forgive us, we recognise that Jesus died on the cross for the things that we've done that are wrong. We can actually say to God that we're sorry and ask for Jesus' death on the cross to pay for our sin. And as a result, we gain a new status. We go from being spiritually dead to being alive. Now, just like a dead person can't bring themselves back to life, we can't achieve this transformation by ourselves. We are completely dependent on God to do this for us. And that's what Paul goes on to talk about in verse 6. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. It's fundamental to the Christian faith to understand that God raises us up as dead, walking dead, really. Like we're just cicada shells. We leave our wings on the ground. There's, there's just not that dynamic spiritual life in us. We can't generate that in ourselves. Because of our sin and our rebellion, we're actually completely dependent on what God is going to do for us to help us in this situation. And so Jesus' death and resurrection is the work that is needed to take away our sin so that we can actually become spiritually alive. Now, when Jesus goes up into heaven and he ascends into heaven after he's revealed himself to his disciples. He had said to them before that, go and wait in Jerusalem because even though I am going to go back to heaven and I'm going to be seated in heaven, I'm going to be ruling on the throne, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. He promised his disciples that he would leave the counsellor, the Holy Spirit, to be with them. And at Pentecost in Acts, we see that the disciples did what they were asked to do. They stayed in Jerusalem and they waited And then at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came down on them in tongues of fire and in a great wind. And they actually all individually received the Holy Spirit. And so the glory of God is now living in the midst of his people. And so it's it's that transformation that takes place in the Christian, that when we put our faith in Jesus, we receive the Holy Spirit and we've been given a completely new spiritual nature. In Galatians chapter 5, Paul unpacks that again by saying, that our sinful nature is still present in us because we're still human beings on this earth, but we now also have a spiritual nature. And it's that new spiritual nature that Paul is celebrating here in Ephesians chapter 2. Now, interestingly, when God wants to show his power to Satan, the one who's described as the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient, when God wants to show Satan his power, he doesn't point him to the planets and say, look what I've created, the solar system around the earth. Or, or look at the, 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 the whole solar system. Or look at the universe of stars. If God wants to show his power, he doesn't point Satan and say, look at the intricacy of a cicada wing. Look how delicate and beautiful 
that is. How, how powerful is God that he can create a cicada in its beautiful, delicate frame and at the same time also create these huge celestial objects that are so vastly beyond our experience. We can't even imagine how many of them there are. He doesn't point to all these great works of creation when he holds up his power to Satan. What he does hold up is the church. When he wants to show his power to Satan, he takes the fallen human beings, the walking dead, those who are not spiritual, those who are dead in their transgressions, and he brings them alive. The new life we have as Christians is what God chooses to use to show his power. In verse 7, in order that in the coming ages he might show his incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. That's his power at work. Now, this is not our work. It is his work. In verse 8, For it is by grace that you've been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is a gift from God, not by works, so that nobody can boast. God's power is that he can still bring us alive today. He still brings people to himself today. And he continues to rule in the midst of all of the challenges that we have in this world where we suffer all kinds of things Jesus is still bringing people to himself and bringing alive human beings. That is his work. So what is our work? If God's work is to bring us alive and to work through us, in verse 10, we see that we can participate and partner with God as he is working through us. For we are God's handiwork. See there again? We are God's handiwork. He has made us into spiritual beings. He's brought us alive through Christ Jesus. Here, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. The exciting thing is that when you see a cicada come out of the ground and go and attach itself to a tree, and then actually, if you ever have the, the beautiful opportunity to see a cicada actually come out of its, its chrysalis or whatever they call those things, its shell, if you like, I have had an opportunity to see that once. I was on a bushwalk once and I actually not only got to see the cicada on the side of a tree or a cicada flying around, I got to see the transformation and the beautiful moment where that, the back of the, the, the shell cracks open and these, these wet wings start to come out of the back of this creature and then the creature extricates itself from its shell and then it sits there in, in a moment of vulnerability as the sun dries its wings and as those soft wings stretch out and harden, all of a sudden the cicada, tentatively at first but then confidently, sets to flight and as it does, it sings in joy. Can you imagine the experience of a cicada who has lived for seven years in the darkness, maybe bumping into other cicadas going, have you heard that rumour that there is a life beyond the underground? Have you heard, heard that rumour that there is, there is more to life than darkness and dank soil and drinking sap out of the tree roots? Now, some cicadas might have laughed at that cicada and gone, oh, you're kidding me, aren't you? You're not one of those cicadas that believes in above ground reality, are you? Well, imagine the cicada when one day, for some unknown reason, it just had this feeling of digging upwards instead of digging down all the time. Instead of looking for its satisfaction deeper in the dark soil, it felt a draw to go up. And as it came up and it found itself on the side of a tree and it cracked open out of its chrysalis and for the first time its eyes saw the sun and it saw the light and it felt its wings firm and hardened and then it flew what a complete opposite experience to digging around in the soil, flying in the sky. Of course, the cicada is going to sing. 
of course the cicada is going to embrace that new nature and actually dive into that new nature and fly around and sing and we on the people who are bush walking underneath it that's what cicadas do and just like that a christian is like a human being who believes in something else who's been drawn to dig up instead of to dig down and then when they've discovered their new nature that's been gifted to them the idea in verse 10 is that we embrace it that we live it and that we don't keep being drawn back into the soil to try and live our pre pre pre-salvation nature that we actually live in this new spiritual nature for we are god's handiwork created in christ jesus to do good works my question for us is how do we do good works now when we're in this situation we know that our lord jesus is seated at the right hand of god in heaven and we've been raised up and dignified beyond what we should normally be We've been dignified with a new spiritual nature that's been gifted to us because of what Christ has done to us. And we, if you like, have been raised up into the heavenlies with Christ to rule with him. And his rule is a rule of love. And if we are going to fly as Christians around in this new reality and embrace this new nature that we have, we are to learn from Christ how to love others and how to put other people before ourselves. And it doesn't matter if you're in the four walls of your own house or whether you're on a train going to work or whether you're down the beach or whether you can move around freely or you can't actually move anywhere, we can all still love. My encouragement to us today is how can you find new ways to love today? How can you pray for and care for people and embrace this spiritual nature you have as a Christian? Thanks again for listening to the Soul Revival Church podcast. Just a reminder, if you want to watch any of these services that we hold live, you can go to soulrevivalchurch.com and you can see all the gatherings up the top of the page. You can choose anyone you wish. It can be on Friday, Saturday or Sunday. Thanks again and one way. Music is okay by Ixon.